about death is uncomfortable. We think if we don't talk about it, it won't happen. Sadly, this isn't true. It's the only thing in life that we can be certain about. And because we don't talk about it, often we don't know what to do when we experience the death of a loved one. My name is Fiona Garvin and this is Deadly Serious Conversations. I'll be talking to a range of people who will share their knowledge and experience so we can learn how to make dying part of living. Today on the podcast, I'm talking to the lovely Jo Betts. Jo is the type of person that you instantly feel a warmth in her presence. Sadly, three years ago, her world was completely rocked when her husband Craig died very suddenly. In an instant, Jo found herself a widow and a single mother to their beautiful little girl. In this episode, Jo courageously and openly shares her experience of learning to live with grief. Good morning, Joe. Thank you so much for joining us today. I really, really appreciate it. And firstly, I just want to say I'm really sorry that your lovely husband, Craig, has died. Life really did change for you in an instant. Do you want to tell us a little bit about Craig? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so yeah, I was uh, I met Craig when I was oh, only 23 years of age and um, we fell in love kind of immediately really um, over a series of like a few months of dating and things and yeah, went on to lead like a really beautiful life together. We lived across in London for a few years, went to Melbourne, came back to Geelong, got married, had our beautiful daughter Heidi and so life was, you know, I, I guess yeah, life was beautiful. It, it was good. And I guess I never kind of imagined that anything would happen to either of us at the age we were at. And um, yeah, it's, um, I guess, to go into a bit more detail about what happened to Craig was just over three years ago. Um, you know, we, we went about our normal work days, came home, had dinner together and, and both, yeah, you know, went off to bed and yeah, Craig woke me in the middle of the night telling me that he couldn't breathe. And so Craig had been an asthmatic um, in the time that I'd known him, but I'd never seen him have an attack. So when he, you know, woke me at 2.30 in the morning, I guess, you know, you're going into complete sort of shock and panic about what is going on. But yeah, obviously got straight onto the phone to to Triple O and um, yeah, from there, basically a, a bit of a nightmare event kind of unfolded where I attempted to resuscitate him for about 20 minutes on my own, which was just, yeah, an incredibly brutal and traumatic experience in itself. And then paramedics would eventually arrive and work on Craig for, yeah, almost over an hour. But the end result was that, um, yeah, they never received any sort of sign of life or anything like that. And he was, yeah, declared dead in our home at probably approximately, you know, four o'clock in the morning and so it's it's a really bizarre experience to go through because it's one of those things and I guess you know death happens in so many different ways but there's something particularly brutal I guess about a sudden death and the you know the witnessing an event like that and being part of it that is incredibly traumatic and I just remember thinking at the time like wow, in the space of that, you know, between 2.30am in the morning and 4am, my whole life, as I once knew it, has been 
you know, virtually smashed into pieces right before my very eyes and a huge worry about, you know, is it possible to come back from something like this, but also finding myself thrust into this whole new world of grief. And I'd never really experienced grief before Fiona. And so it certainly has been a crazy roller coaster of a ride as I have you know, experienced grief in all kinds of forms and, and I'm still experiencing grief. And yeah, the overwhelming nature of it, the isolation of it, um, the pockets of joy that you can find in it. It's, yeah, it's, it's become a big part of my life, but one I'm, I'm, I guess, really fascinated by and something that I'm incredibly passionate about being open and honest about too and you talk about grief there joe grief is the ultimate trickster it's the master of disguise uh, you know it, it it really can present itself in so many different and unexpected ways i'm sure you can relate to this that you know one day you think you're fine and the next day you just can't get out of bed and it, it can hit you in really random and unexpected places it could be as random as you know washing the dishes or driving the car or when you least expected and I suppose the thing to remember is it never really goes away and it's it's always there but it evolves has it evolved for you over that time I've um I've had a really interesting journey I guess with my grief because um you know I, I knew little about it but I also was very naive in how grief might impact my life. And so I'm quite a proactive person, Fiona. So I think initially I thought, well, right, we just fix this. This is a problem and I'm going to solve it. And I will, I will go as hard as I can to make sure that this doesn't impact my life too much. And that, you know, whatever grief brings to me, I'll just try and get it done as quickly as possible. And I'm sure like your listeners would be aware that obviously there's the stages of grief. And I remember madly Googling what those stages were within within probably the first week after Craig's death, because I, I wanted to get on top of it. And, um, you know, it, as I said, I was really naive to it. And as that first year went on, and I would put it down to a lot of shock as well. I was in so much shock I just didn't quite know what was happening to me and um I think I very much went into you know fight mode and I think that's a response a lot of people would have to a death particularly I guess a sudden death is you know that you can go into flight fight or freeze and my body had gone into fight mode and I just thought you know what grief like bring it on I'm I'm coming for you and it was almost like I thought I was in a movie of some sorts and I just thought if I played the right role and if I did all the stages as quickly as possible, that perhaps, you know, once I got to the end, there might be some kind of award or, <laughs> or something that says to me, right, Joe, like you, you've gone through the stages of grief, you're done. And, you know, grief is just such a painful, awful, horrible feeling that of course you're going to do anything you can to, to get rid of it. And that was what I was trying to achieve. And, you know, I was, I was doing all kinds of therapies and, and, you know, positive thinking. And I just remember I got to the year, end of year one and I, you know, did the anniversary and I'd done all the right things and I'd worked so hard. And a few days after Craig's anniversary, I just remember waking up exhausted and thinking nothing's changed. Like I still, I still feel bad. And 
I got a real shock from that, that there was this huge, um, yeah, disappointment and frustration as well. And I could see myself just beginning to unravel from, from there because I was exhausted and I was tired. I was trying to fight against something that, um, you know, is, is just a part of what happens when someone that you love dies. And so I think over the next, you know, two, the second year and the third year, I've been doing a lot more learning, a lot more sitting with it. And I guess trying to get myself into a position where I, I embrace my grief a little bit more because I'm starting to realise, as you said, it's not linear at all. And just because I've experienced anger once doesn't mean I won't experience anger again. And it's very likely that I will be experiencing grief for the rest of my life. But I've started to look into it, I guess, look at it in a way that I go, well, why do I feel grief? Well, the reason I feel that is because I love that person so much and I've lost them. And so in a way, it's almost like you need to honour your grief a little bit ago because that's that's just the love that I had for that person. And, and that's a beautiful thing and that's why it feels so painful. So, yeah, I, I look and I think, Fiona, I think grief's going to continue to evolve for me over the many years to come. I've certainly learned a whole lot, but I think I will be learning year on year on year. And um, yeah, I'm starting to see the beautiful parts of it. I'm starting to see the sad, the painful, um, and just, yeah, trying to work with those and what's happening to me at any one time. And I guess, yeah, as I said before, I guess embracing it a little bit more than I ever have. Yeah, beautiful. And and that's a lovely reminder, Joe, that grief just can't be fixed or cured. And you don't graduate from it. <laughs> I, I wish I got the graduation. <laughs> really hard. <laughs> I know, it sounds like it. And yes, you're right. I think in that lovely little saying, I'm not sure, I think it was Queen Elizabeth said that grief is the price we pay for love. And yes, it is a, a reminder that you did love someone and you still do love someone very, very dearly and grief is present and maybe for the rest of your life. And so, Joe, what are some of the things that you have found helpful to navigate grief a bit better? Yeah, look, I am, um, as I mentioned earlier, look, I've tried so many different things and I, I really advocate for that because I also think, you know, what I might find useful that helps me in my grief may not suit someone else so I think it's really important to be open to different ideas and and try different things to see what works for you I guess initially for me after Craig's death I just knew what I had experienced that evening and this close and loving bond that I'd had with Craig that that this was going to affect me in a big way mentally and emotionally and so I guess my first port of call was to reach out to a psychologist and um I found my work with her and my time with her to be completely invaluable. Like I, it's one person that I know that I can go to on a regular basis and be completely open with, but also that she can give me and help me with the strategies to cope when I'm perhaps not feeling as good as I could be. Um, because it is, it's so overwhelming grief and it's, it's tricky to sometimes when you're in it, try and work out how do I get myself out of it? So I've certainly tried, um, psychology and I think counseling can be really important too. It's that, that talking it out, you know, getting your thoughts and feelings out there as well. Um, 
I found a huge amount of um, help in writing. So I've always been a little bit of a writer. And um, yeah, it, I think when it comes to writing and journaling and things like that too, it's a chance for you to explore how you're feeling and and put something down into a notebook or a journal that is a space that's, you know, non-judgmental and um, allows you just to get all those feelings out there that might be stuck in your head. Because I think when you've got feelings just, you know, going around and around in your head, it can just make it even like more confusing than it already is. So I've certainly um, embraced writing. And in, in saying that, I've even actually written a, a grief journal too, because out of my experience, I found um, after Craig's death, like a lot of people knew that I loved writing and people kept gifting me blank notebooks, which was such a beautiful idea. And I remember I would go to these blank notebooks and go to write and just was thinking, I don't even know where to start with this story. I don't even know what's actually happening to me. Um, and I wish, I guess I had some kind of help in a journal that could prompt me as to the various aspects that I could write about my grief. So I've ended up coming up with my own. So this grief journal, I guess, allows people to explore their grief in a safe space, but takes them through the different things that they may experience, whether it's loneliness, regret, um, gratitude, you know, writing a letter to their loved ones. So they're kind of little activities that I've taken on along the way. And I always feel so much better for writing things down. Um, I've done a, a fair bit of reading and whether that's on Google, I'd hate for anyone to see my Google search history. <laughs> you know, reading a few different books. I know Megan Devine, um, who's a psychologist in the US, wrote uh, an incredible book called It's Okay That You're Not Okay. And yeah, I, I loved reading that, was able to identify with those experiences and um yeah, you know, as a reader, I think it's sometimes it's it's just good to go to resources that you can go back to and highlight. And um, yeah, I've certainly found those useful. And I guess another part that sort of helped me has been sharing my experiences and being really open and honest with that. And whether that's in a public forum or if it's just talking to my friends or family, I think being really open and honest with how you're feeling is important too, um, even though it's hard and difficult at times. And yeah, I think um, I certainly try to be gentle on myself as well and um, realise that I'm not always going to be, uh, how do I sort of say it? I guess um, that some days when I'm grieving, it's going to be really, really hard and some days it'll feel a little bit better and to just be, you know, try and not be too frustrated or disappointed in myself and, and, and take it easy, which is sometimes easier said than done. But yeah, there, look, there's plenty of things that I've tried. And I think for anyone that's grieving out there, it's, you can only give things a go and see if it works for you as well. And if something doesn't work, it's okay. You, you don't have to do it, but you know, um, it's certainly good to try to find things out there to help you along the way. Yeah, and I have a, a copy of your beautiful little book and it's just gorgeous, Joe. One of the things that I love in it is uh, what you mentioned there is about the importance of being kind to yourself in grief. And I love this little reminder because often we don't treat ourselves with the same kindness that we would a good friend. And, you know, just having a, a little guide like that, just to remind you, yeah, it's okay to be kind to yourself. And um, one of the other things, Joe, I love in it is you talk about the feeling good five do you want to tell us a little bit about that 
Yes, so this Feel Good Five concept actually came out of um, a psychology session one day. So I guess when I was referring to before how I came to this big hurdle in my grief where, you know, got to the end of the year one, nothing had changed. And um, I'd spoken a lot to my psychologist about that. And I, I was also dealing with a lot of trauma from Craig's death. And so we decided to do a particular type of therapy to help with that, which was really hard going. And I just remember my psychologist saying to me, over this period of time for the next month, two months to three months, you're going to have to be really gentle on yourself and you need to try and make yourself feel as good as possible. And she just kind of posed the question to me and said, so what is it that makes you feel good? And I remember I was really like stumped by it. And I thought this is such a simple question. And I don't even think that this is just for grievers. I think this is just for people in general, everyday life. How have we come to a point sometimes that we can't actually remember or don't know what it is that makes us feel good? So I went home that afternoon and I thought, right, I'm going to put together a feel good five, which was to list five things that I can do in my life that make me feel good. And sometimes I think the simpler you make them, the better. And I guess for an example, you know, the things that make me feel good or on my feel good five are things like I love walking and I know Fiona I've already probably said to you this morning mm -hmm. I'll have been off my morning walk this morning because it's something that um makes me feel good physically and, and mentally um I love a good cup of tea um you know with the fancy tea leaves so sometimes <laughs> that's great um I guess another one is you know Craig and I were always big fans of seafood so I love like a dozen oysters and ten prawns <laughs> um Travel's really important to me as well. And I guess catching up with family and friends. So I listed those all together and I put them up on my fridge and I would go to them whenever I was in a bit of a flat spot. Um, or even just having them there as a day-to-day -day reminder was like, you know, these are the little things that I can do in my day-to-day -day life that, that bring me joy, that make me feel good. And um, it's such an important thing to do. And I think in a world where we're all trying to be more present, it's by doing these little things that actually do bring you back into the present moment and you're doing something that's good for you and nurturing yourself along the way. So I'm a big advocate for the Feel Good Five and I thought it had definitely had a place in the journal to sit there and for people just to explore and actually put down on paper the things that make them feel good and to be able to refer to them whenever they need them hopefully on the good days, but especially on the bad days too. Yeah, absolutely. I love it. I, I think we all should have a feel good five. <laughs> and so, so Joe, I imagine you look at yourself now and you barely recognize the person that you've become since Craig died. You would see yourself completely differently now. How has this absolutely traumatic experience and terrible loss changed you? Yeah, look, it's it's been such a a journey for me, Fiona, because I, I still remember in those early like hours and days after Craig's death, almost thinking to myself, please don't let this change me. Please don't let this change me. Um, and I don't know what that big fear was around that, but I even remember going to the psychologist in the first session and saying to her, whatever happens, I just don't want this to change me. I guess, you know, my personality has always been quite positive and bright and I just imagined that perhaps after a loss like this that I would be that jaded kind of person that didn't enjoy life that couldn't find any joy in it and, and and it was a real concern for me but as time went on I thought how could this not change me I've been through something incredibly 
traumatic. I've lost like so much in this experience um, that it's only natural that it would change me in various ways. I'd say probably a lot of people would could perhaps not see it on the surface. I think, you know, on from a surface level, I'm probably still much the same. I'm, you know, vibrant, um, joyful, I guess, but I know underneath me, there certainly have been those big changes within me. And I think some of those have been that I think I've found a strength that I didn't realise I've ever had. I honestly, like I, I thought I had lost absolutely everything and like I'm still quite proud of myself in that even though that year I was saying I was quite naive to grief the strength that I was able to pull together to get myself through the day-to-day to parent my daughter to grieve to yeah I guess yeah try and put the um, the blocks back together in our life that I thought had been smashed around me. I, yeah, have, I have a huge sense of pride in the strength that I've shown, but equally, I think I'm a lot more vulnerable and fragile than I've ever been in my life. And I don't see that as a bad thing. I think it's opened up this really beautiful side of me that knows how fragile I am, how fragile life is, how vulnerable that we can be. And, um, it's taught me to be vulnerable with other people and share these experiences. And I guess it's opened up um, some incredible relationships along the way with other people who are grieving or, or perhaps are not grieving and just simply trying to learn more about grief and support others. And, you know, I've, I've met some incredible people who are in the grieving sort of space as well. And um, I don't know, I think, I guess a big aspect of change for me has been that, um, that empathetic side of me that has come out, which has been really beautiful. I think I feel things a lot more deeply, but at the same time too, you know, when someone tells me a story about their life, I just, yeah, I feel the empathy for all kinds of different situations that I've come across, you know, not, it doesn't always have to do uh, with death. And I guess the part that I've really loved about the changes in me is that I think I just seek joy as much as I can and I really feel joy more deeply than I ever have before and in the most simple of ways I know um someone contacted me on Instagram the other day and said I always see you walking Heidi to school and you're always skipping along and smiling and you know it makes me feel so happy to watch you too and I just said to her I said do you know what it's actually the best part of my day is that walk up to school and picking her up to bring her home because it's this 10 minute time where we can talk and giggle and we run and chase each other. And, um, you know, it was probably one of those things. I think I, you know, there was probably a lot of joy going on in my life, but I wasn't really taking any time to notice it. And now I sort of think when you've been to really dark places that all you really want to do in your life is feel good and feel that joy so that when you do I certainly don't take it for granted at all and um and I think as one other change that perhaps I've noticed is that I feel so much more gratitude than I ever have and that can be really tricky in grief I think sometimes it's hard to feel gratitude when you feel like something's being taken away from you but I do believe that gratitude has probably got 
me through a lot of this because I look at gratitude from a lot of different perspectives as in I'm so incredibly grateful to be alive and to be the one that is here that is able to be with my daughter um, to experience the world and to experience life. And that's been taken away from Craig who would give anything to be here. So it's, it's those little things. I'm grateful for my daughter. Um, yeah, I don't know. I'm grateful for my family and friends. I, I just, I see it in a whole different kind of light now and that perhaps the things that I was, you know, working towards achieving in my life before Craig's death were not things that really mattered. And now to me, if my life achievement is just living a life that feels good, then I'm perfectly happy with that. Yeah. And that's, again, a lovely reminder, you know, death does give us a bit of perspective on the important things. And we do get so busy. And sometimes we forget that the little things are the big things. Yeah, we do have to be grateful for them. And so, Joe, you, you've spoke about Heidi. How has it been navigating parenthood, you know, as a single parent now? Yeah, it's, um, look, it's one of the toughest aspects of it and I take my hat off to anyone who is parenting a grieving child because it is incredibly overwhelming and I think you feel this huge weight of responsibility it's you know children um are so innocent but also they're within your care and it's you know I guess as a parent you kind of determine a little bit of the way of how they grieve and what kind of support networks they they have around you because they're not quite old enough to understand or to access resources. I often feel lucky. I often think, well, you know what? I'm an adult, so I can make decisions about my grief as in I can ring a psychologist, I can transport myself to the psychology office, I can pay for things to to be supported in my or to help support me in my grief. My child is a totally innocent party to that. You know, she relies on me um, to, to support her in that. And it's and it's something I'm still learning and you know I guess how, how do you best parent them I, I I think it comes back to for me it's just being about being totally honest with her and building a trusting and stable environment around her as much as possible so I certainly have a lot of open conversations with Heidi about what has happened to Craig um you know telling her factual things you know to the level that she can understand she is seven now um but yeah, not trying to hide anything and, and being honest with her too, that when I'm facing tough times, that it's okay. And so when she comes to me and says, like, I feel sad about daddy, I think initially when she would first say that to me and I was probably, you know, as I said, trying to fight off grief, it's like, all right, think of something positive, think of something positive to make her feel happy. And, um, you know, I just think now I acknowledge it. And she, look, she's a little joy seeker too. So I'm quite lucky in that respect as in she does cheer up quite quickly, but I always acknowledge it and say, that's okay. Like, and sometimes I feel really sad too, Heidi. And I know the other week I'd said to her, I've had a really bad day. Like I cried three times <laughs> just to kind of let her know that that's okay. And I think equally as much as my grief will evolve, I now realise that her grief is going to evolve so much over the years. And I think initially because she is such a happy little soul that I thought, well, wow, haven't I done a great job in bringing up this adjusted grieving child? But I, I probably thought that initially and I don't think that anymore. I just keep thinking I think her grief is actually perhaps going to be where mine might get easier. I think hers is going to get harder 
over time as she navigates big milestones in her life, whether that's starting school, finishing school, you know, even thinking about getting married, you know, or wanting to share those big moments with someone like your father that that isn't there. It's it's a tricky one to navigate. But as I said, I think it's just about being honest with them and loving and nurturing and 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 also you know leaning on resources too when you perhaps don't know what to do i know heidi school has been particularly amazing in supporting heidi through um psychology services and checking in with me and um you know i've availed of services in geelong such as wombat's wish which is a camp for bereaved children and so i think it's sometimes going well, what when i need help like where can i go to and, and try and find those places yeah yeah and she's beautiful joe you're doing an amazing job she's just exactly like you <laughs> worry but look we i you know as i said i i i feel incredibly lucky to have her i feel incredibly lucky to have the kind of child that I do and I you know I think there is this deep belief that I'm like we will you know make our way through this and we'll do it together yeah beautiful and Joe, I know that you have a great support network around you what role have they played over the last three years for you Fiona like I I feel so incredibly lucky for the support network that I have and you know of course first and foremost that came in the form of my immediate family who are incredible. So I have relied on them a lot, you know, and that's been for emotional support as well as practical support as well. I'm incredibly close with my sister. So probably from an emotional perspective, um, she has helped me a lot. I feel like she is the one person that I can really always go to whether I'm sad, angry, <laughs> disappointed, happy, whatever it is. She, um, she has been there for the grief ride the entire time of my parents. Um, yeah, look, they, they supported me practically. I mean, Heidi and I moved into their home for eight to nine months after Craig's death where, look, I, I look at it and think, God, it was probably like living with a ghost with me by their side. And they, they did all the little practical things that I really needed help with, you know, bathing Heidi, making sure that we were fed and reading her stories, all those kind of things that I, I really needed help with. So, and my older brother was really, you know, supportive in just helping with things, I guess, from a more like financial sort of perspective and legal perspective too. So they have been incredible and I've got a beautiful group of friends and, um, yeah, I think it, it's funny because I think people can play different roles in different ways. Some of it's emotional support. Some of it's having those friends that you can always laugh with and just completely be yourself and have a good time with. Equally, there are the friends that sometimes just don't know what to do. And that's okay because they can do the little practical things to help you along the way as well. But yeah, I, I feel incredibly lucky, I guess, across social media too. I've been lucky in that... Um, you know, some people perhaps have known me through my wedding celebrant work and have reached out and lent their support from there. And um, also, I guess the release of the grief journal, you know, opened me up to a lot more exposure with people who are grieving and um, who have lent their support to me also. But I, yeah, I do. I feel incredibly lucky because I think at the end of the day, I do feel like there is a group of people around me that are just backing me 100% of the time and that they believe and it's funny I, I don't know it's like they believe in me that I can um still make a go of life despite what has happened and because of that 
it's instilled that belief in me also. So I think I've always kind of had it there, but I think with the backing of others, you start to go, do you know what? I can actually do anything I want and I can, you know, make my way through this in the best way possible with that support. Yeah, they're the scaffolding that's helping you. And we know that there are people who are less fortunate and may not have as much support. Is there anything that you can suggest, Joe, for anyone who may not have a strong support network around them if they're grieving? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it makes me incredibly sad to, to think of anyone that doesn't um, have the family or friends that, that can help them in their grief and sometimes too it's maybe that you you do have family and friends around but perhaps they just don't kind of understand where you're coming from so I guess my my advice would be like social media can actually be great um for things like this I know after Craig had died I was I was just looking for anyone that could identify with my experience and I guess potentially that was obviously other widows and so from a, a widow perspective you know i have found other widows that I, I um, follow or interact with on social media, be it Instagram or Facebook, but have also become part of Facebook groups. There's, there's a whole lot of actual, um, I guess, grief groups around on social media. Um, and I look, I'm sure if you delved into the internet even further, there's perhaps other support networks that you can get involved in too. But, you know, there, there are things such as group counselling sessions. So, you know, getting on Google and seeing if they're around writing courses as well. So I think it's about finding a group of people through those avenues and connecting with them because it's incredibly important to connect to others. And um, it's even more so important to connect with others that actually understand where you're coming from, because it can feel very lonely out there. And when you do find that group, it is such a relief and, and a nice feeling to have other people you can lean on for support and ask those questions that perhaps you um, wouldn't feel confident asking a friend or family member. And I'm just trying to think of what off the top of my head. I just, I know I recently brought up on social media about taking my wedding ring off. And I remember thinking, I was like Googling it and what have people done? And, and, the great thing was then I was able to read through some forums on social media and hear different people's experiences. And that was not a question I was comfortable in bringing up with family and friends that perhaps didn't understand where I was coming from. But within, you know, this young widows group that I'm actually part of on Facebook, like they've all got such a great sense of humor. <laughs> As well, we can ask the weird questions, we can laugh at each other. <laughs> each other also so um there's a lot of black humor that goes on <laughs> that I highly recommend finding those groups and, and leaning on them too yeah absolutely that's a great idea and so joe you know is there anything that you could sort of that you would like to let others know who may be in the depths of grief at the moment is there any sort of message or anything that you think is important for them to know yeah, look, and it's it's so, I guess the first thing I would want them to know is, oh God, it is so hard. It is so, it's so challenging, especially when you're in the depths of deep grief. I like to call it the deep dark hole where you just feel like that there's no surface that, um, you know, you are, as we touched on before, you're struggling to get out of bed. You're struggling to do those day-to-day things. And, um, you know, I think while grief can feel so lonely, 
you're not alone. And I think it's important to understand that. And that perhaps comes back to reaching out more so to those support networks um, or even, you know, with someone like myself that, that actually understand where you're coming from and, and they get it. And I, I, I think that's, it's important. It's connecting to others and asking for help when it's all getting too much, whether that's psychology services, a friend, um, someone, yeah, as we've said before, like-minded sort of people. And, and then I think it's really important when you're grieving to check in with yourself. And I'd say this on three fronts. Like I think, you know, often, and it might be every couple of months, I check in with myself on three different ways. And I go like, how am I feeling physically? How am I feeling mentally? How am I feeling emotionally? And if you're great in all three aspects, tick all the boxes and go, well done, I'm doing a good job. But if one of them's a bit off, like what can you do to support yourself? in that so I kind of mean that too because I I guess you know I I check in regularly with my psychologist so mentally I try and help myself quite a lot and um but I really struggle physically and I think that's something about grief that perhaps not a lot of people know is the physical impact and toll it can often have on your body and whether that's extreme fatigue or tiredness or whether that's, you know, backache or jawache or something that's going on, it's, it's equally important to attend to those parts of you as well and seeking help, going to your GP. Um, I even know on Monday I'm actually going to check in with my GP because I am feeling a bit tired and I thought, you know what, it might be time just to have a blood test to check that my iron levels and everything is okay. So just giving yourself, like once you check in on those things, you're giving yourself the best chance to support yourself in that and um, I guess thrive a little bit too. And um, I guess the final thing I'd probably say, and I, and I hope it doesn't come off in the right way, I think it, it's the wrong way, sorry. Um, I guess it's looking for the positives where you can. And I don't mean that in a toxic positivity, like I was sort of just saying, I'm fine, I'm fine. But I, I think positive thinking can really help and I think it doesn't have to be that you know um as I said presenting this positive front all the time it can be more so just that innate belief that you can get through it and you will and whilst it will feel painful that hopefully you know when you come into those better times of feeling that you know you've learned a little bit more about yourself and um about the world and about life and i think that can only sort of be a positive positive thing too so yeah i think think positive where possible yeah lovely and so joe grief as we've learned can be a bit of an enigma it's really hard to understand and but the other thing about it is it's also it can be invisible just because we can't see it doesn't mean it, it doesn't exist or if someone has experienced the loss of someone if they outwardly look like they're doing okay that may not always be the case there may be no visible signs of their turmoil how would you suggest that we could support someone who has lost a loved one not just immediately after the funeral but for the months and the years afterwards yeah it's um and look it's funny because i think so many people do you want to support and don't quite know how to do it? And um, I guess my first piece of advice would be to check in and not check out. And, you know, I even thought this the other day and I was like, I think people forget, you know, we've got um, gadgets like phones and things like that where we can set reminders now. So I would say like, 
you want to check in with people and let them know that you love them and that you care. But I also recognise that life gets busy after the funeral and that people can often forget about those around them that are grieving because they've got a lot going in um going on in their normal day-to-day life so I guess a tip would be to help with that is go well why don't I set a reminder in my calendar once a month to check in with my friend or loved one who is grieving with a whether that's a phone call a simple text a, a visit whatever it kind of looks like it reminds and prompts you to do that and at the same time perhaps even do things like setting a reminder in your phone that recognises the anniversary of the death or perhaps the person who is deceased's birthday or a wedding anniversary or something like that. And if you wanted to go even a step further, I'd say, you know, before just, you know, waking up on the day and going, oh God, it's Craig's anniversary. What have I done? I would, you know, maybe a reminder for a couple of weeks out that says, I'm going to check in with Jo and just see how she's feeling because often it's those lead up to those big moments that is that often feels worse than the actual day in itself and you know as we've discussed grief can come on at any time it's not just the um the big days it's often the smaller days that hurt if not more than those big occasions and so I think if you do this regular kind of checking with your friend it just lets them know that you're you're out there and you're supporting them and that you love them you care and you can't do anything wrong by by doing that and I'd equally say look I guess you know to keep in mind too that sometimes the griever will respond sometimes they may not and that's never a reflection on you I think it's just a reflection of where they might be at and and if anything might prompt you to realize that perhaps they need a little bit of extra support and I guess when it comes to what kind of support that is um I'd say that that sometimes practical support helps just as much as emotional support. And I think there's two camps of people. I know I had a really interesting conversation with my mum and my sister the other week where my mum said she thought she hadn't done anything for me since Craig had died. I was really upset about it. I was like, Mum, what are you talking about? I said, you gave me a house. You looked after my child when I couldn't look after her myself. Like there was you are the one that turns up with a meal and puts it in my freezer. And so, okay, maybe I'm not always looking for that emotional support from you, but the practical stuff is just as important um, sometimes too. And, you know, so I think the practical things you might be able to do is I'm, I'm always, I always think this, I'm like, if there's a child, like if someone's grieving with a child, you come and take the child away <laughs> for an hour. <laughs> that is such a blessing. Um, the dropping of meals, the, you know, dropping over a book that you thought might help them in their grief, just letting them know that you, that you care. And um, I guess my other point would be is then also don't, don't ask, just do. So, and what I mean by that is I, I, and I used to be this person to, you know, I'd be firing off a text that says, Joe, like I, um, I feel so bad for you. It's awful. Let me know if there's anything I can do. And the thing is the person that is grieving and when they're in those really bad stages of grief and that deep dark hole, do you know what? They often don't know what they need. Um, and it actually just puts pressure on that person to try and come up with something. And I know what I'm like too. I get embarrassed. I get embarrassed that I need help. So I'm probably never going to ask you for that, what I need. I'll just say, yeah, sure. Um, you know, yeah, I'll let you know. I'll never let you know. <laughs> um, <laughs> kind of go look sometimes what takes the burden off the person who is grieving is saying I am dropping a meal at your house at 4 p.m and you can leave it at the front door 
and it's done, you've done something lovely that makes you feel good. You've, you've done something for them that will make them feel good, but you haven't put the responsibility on them to come up with what it is that they think that they need. And um, one more point, <laughs> I guess um, for people who are grieving, often what all you need is a listening ear. And I think when someone wants to talk with you about their grief, just listen. It's not a time for advice. It's not a time for judgment or positive platitudes to try and make them feel better. Just listen, just be there and, and, and let them know that you're there. They're not expecting anything from you. They just, yeah, they just want the listening ear in a world that often doesn't want to listen to them. Yeah. And the other thing perhaps is don't be afraid to use their name. Like don't be afraid to say Craig's name. You're not going to remind you that they've died because there's no way you ever forget that. But how beautiful for someone just to remember and recollect with you and share stories with you and just give you that space and time to... that's such a good point Fiona because I think I've been reflecting on this a little bit more recently where um you know often you get so caught up in you know I think what happened with Craig was so tragic that we think about him in his death all the time because it was it was traumatic it was shocking it's awful that you know even for me sometimes it's like I've lost that opportunity to reflect on who he was as a person when he was alive and I actually um Last week, I have taken on the task. We had, we did a lot of travel together and all our photos are on CDs and <laughs> I needed to keep up in the cloud so I don't lose them. And I thought I was having a bit of a downer of a week and I thought maybe this will just suit the mood. I can then look at the photos and cry and <laughs> wail and do all those kind of things. And instead, I went through them and I couldn't stop laughing <laughs> and remembering like all these amazing memories that we had and the fact that he was alive and this living person. And um, I've also been incredibly lucky in that. um, I'm not sure if you know Annette and Danny from Annette and Danny Films have, um, yeah, helped me because I had our wedding video that was shot by my cousin. So it's pretty substandard, but um, (laughs) it's on a DVD. And they said to me, would you like me to put it as a link so you could get it, you know, save it up into the cloud and said, I'd love to. And same thing again, I, I just loved looking at it and going there's Craig talking and he's alive and in his present form not just thinking about him as someone you know who is dead and it's you're right I think even talking about it now you can hear the joy and the uplift in my voice when I talk about him in that state as well and I think people just yeah love the opportunity to reflect and share about this person that they love so much. Yeah, yeah. I always think it's a beautiful gift to just be in someone's space to hear their stories and to share in those stories and just be a present. And and that's the other thing, as you mentioned, there's no way if you're supporting someone, there's no way that you can fix this situation and just accept that. Just be there. And if that means just staring blankly into space, but just be side by side, that's okay too. Absolutely. And I think the griever kind of will guide you. Like if you give them enough of a safe space to be themselves, they'll guide you a little bit more in what they need. And if that's silence or whether it's I want to reflect on this story, if it's I want to tell you how much I hate the world or whatever it is, they'll, they, they'll kind of guide you in what they need and, and what they want to say as well. And, um, yeah, it's so important that we listen to them. 
Yeah, absolutely. And Joe, at the beginning of our conversation, you mentioned that you're a tea drinker. So thank you so much for sharing a cuppa with me today. What what have you been drinking? I've just actually got a green tea today. I'm a big green tea fan. Um, it's funny because I actually used to be a black tea drinker, but I, I gave that up years ago for some reason. <laughs> I think I probably thought it was health reasons. So a big green tea drinker now. What tea have you got? I've got a chai. Yeah, a chai with lots of milk, which apparently is not the right way to drink it, but it's the way I love it. <laughs> <laughs> so joe i really really enjoyed our conversation thank you so much for courageously sharing your story and giving others hope you are such an amazing person and, and we've all got a lot to learn from you whether that's hope that you can get through it or whether it's some of the hints and tips on how to support someone who is grieving so thank you so much it's been wonderful thank you Karen. i just think it's incredible what you're doing giving people the space to talk about grief, death and exploring that as well. It's really important. Thank you.